By the way, I just wanted to make a couple comments about the, uh, uh, the volunteer, uh, the sheet of volunteers. As we begin to look at the number of people engaged in ministry and mission, and we think we got everybody, we may not have gotten everybody, but we have, we have it's something about, it's, it's just about 90 people involved in covering about 150 positions in volunteers. Your servanthood and your serving is amazing. And when I looked at that, I thought, wow, what a, what a legacy that this church has and what an engagement. Um, and uh, we look forward to, to seeing that continue to grow. Uh, that's a sign of health, meaning people are engaged and connected and, and involved in, in serving because it's, uh, uh, it's what God has created us to do. Now, I want to, I want to invite you to take your sermon outline out of the program. Now, uh, don't be overly concerned about the number of notes. I'm not going to preach more than two hours, so just so you know. Actually, the first, sec- first two sections are going to be, we're going to go through very quickly their background material to give us perspective. So um, we're going to move quickly through this. If you miss some of the blanks and you're not sure what exactly I said, which happens on occasion because we have a lot to cover, at the back, after the service, Greg has some sheets that have all the answers. Okay, <laughs> just, I didn't want to give it to you ahead of time because you might just skip the sermon. So, so we're, those are back there. If, what was that? Yeah, so he has all the answers. So, so we're going to talk today about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is it just an impersonal force coming from God? Can you talk, can you pull me down just, just a tad bit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What has he done? How does the Holy Spirit operate? I don't know what questions you might have this morning about the Holy Spirit, but today we're gonna to answer every one of them. And if you believe that, I have some land in Arizona that I like to sell as well. Just, just kidding. Answering all the questions we have about the Holy Spirit, of course, would be like trying to answer all our questions about God, which is pretty impossible because the Holy Spirit is God. But somehow it's easier to envision God the Father because we have a human counterpart, and God the Son because he came to earth as a baby and he lived here. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's like, wow, this is kind of this weird, this is kind of spooky. How do we handle this? As we move through into chapter eight of the book of Acts, we're gonna see a number of narratives where the people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in order to understand what's happening in the first century church, we must study the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we are not going to have all the answers, as I, as I was naively said earlier, we, but we are not gonna have all the answers, but I hope that we can gain some perspective and it will help us in our understanding of the Holy Spirit today. We must base our understanding of the personal work on the Holy Spirit on the Bible. It's got to be on the Word of God, not on our experience, not on someone else's experience, not on the preachers on Christian television or YouTube or on the Internet. What we attribute to the work of God's Spirit must be consistent with God's character, the person of God, and the work of God. The Holy Spirit is God. Just let's lay that out. There's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, that's the, the Trinity. We're not going to talk about the Trinity today, but just the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred to in scriptures as the Holy Ghost, Spirit, 
Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of Christ, the Comforter, and the Counselor, among others. There are symbols that are used for the Holy Spirit. Uh, There are breath, there's wind, there's the dove, uh, the finger of God, and fire. And these symbols give us insight into the identity and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not just the force of God at work in the world. That reduces him to an impersonal force rather than a person in his own right as part of the Trinity, the Godhead. John 4.24 says, God is spirit. But we must not confuse the statement with the fact that the Bible speaks of three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all who are God, three yet one. We're not gonna get very far into the Trinity today or we'll never get through this. So, but the same Father that is active in the Old Testament, New Testament, and today, is the same as the Son who is active in the Old Testament, New Testament, and today. And it's the same Holy Spirit that is active in the Old Testament, New Testament, and our world today. And I want to start today by just going very briefly through um, what the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament. Okay, We're going to just take this first part. It's it's the first part of your notes, and, and we're going to go as quickly as we can. First, let's start with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We start with letter A, the work of the Spirit in creation. In creation, Genesis 1-2 says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is the very beginning of, the, of creation. In Genesis 2-7, it says, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. That's the work of the Spirit in, in, in beginning of life. Psalm 104-30 says, when you send your Spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. It's the principle for all life, energy, physical, and psychological life of man. And so that's the the work of the Spirit in creation. Then we have the work of the Spirit in equipping for service, for action. Today we have the the gifts of the Spirit. We have the fruits of the Spirit. We have other, other things that refer to the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, as we've talked over time, that the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on people for specific times for specific tasks. So when God wanted something to be done, he would pour out his Spirit on specific people. And I've given you some examples. Number one is Bezalel. Thank you, my parents, for not naming me Bezalel. But Bezalel. And, and it was for craftsmanship. In craftsmanship, in Exodus 31, 2 through 3, says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. And that was to build a tabernacle. Okay? So that was a specific task God wanted him to do. And he, it says he filled him with his Holy Spirit, with his Spirit. And that was in the working of gold and silver and cutting and setting precious stones, woodwork, etc. If you read about the manufacturing of the building of the, of the temple in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, you'll read about this particular gift. Then there was another example is Othniel. And that was the gift of leadership. Gift of leadership. In Judges 3.10 it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he became Israel's judge, or his, Israel's leader. Then we see number three, for Saul, King Saul, for leadership. 1 Samuel 10, 6 that said, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you with power and you will prophesy with him and you will be changed into a different person. One of the most remarkable statements in the Old Testament about King Saul, he said when the spirit of the Lord came on him, he became a different person. Radical transformation. 
in the Old Testament. Then for David, it was leadership as well. First Samuel 16, 13 says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. So there were examples of, of the spirit of the Lord coming on. Number five, there's Samson, which had to do with physical strength. Physical strength, Judges 14, 6 says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. And of course, you, you go through the book of Judges, you see Samson also performing other incredible physical acts because the spirit of the Lord was on him. We, we find the, the work of the Holy Spirit in inspiring the prophets. Prophets, there's a, this is a huge topic, but prophets spoke the word of God to their contemporary generation. In other words, they said, God says this, and this is what I'm telling you what he's saying. Now, we think of it always as future, but it was future in the sense that they said, this is what God says to you to do and be. If you fail to do that and obey God, then future, this is what's going to happen. So it was prophetic in the sense that they spoke God's word to the existing generation. And now it also, it's, it's a many-faceted thing because sometimes it has second, secondary and, and, and a third uh, fulfillment in the future, but that's a huge topic of prophecy. Then it was in producing moral living, letter D. Psalm 51, 10 through 11 says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament also was produce moral living. We find letter E, it was, it was in foretelling the Messiah, that Jesus was coming, the Messiah. And, and letter F, in writing the scriptures, writing the scriptures. Second Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see all throughout the Old Testament the work of the Spirit, but it was limited to specific persons at specific times for specific purposes. Then... Through the Spirit of God, through the prophet of Joel, comes this stunning prediction. And we looked at this when we looked at Acts 2. Stunning prediction. Joel 2.28 says, And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. That was the first indication that all people were going to be able to be recipients someday of the power of the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. A remarkable, incredible prediction and statement, which, of course, came about on the day of Pentecost. It includes sons and daughters, old men, young men, servants and men, women, everyone. Now, we'll see what that means for us today in a moment, but I want to first take a brief look at the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus. Okay, now we're going to look at uh, the life of Jesus in the Gospels. When we read through the Gospels, we find, first of all, that, that the Holy Spirit was involved in the birth of Jesus, in the conception and the birth. The Spirit of God came on Mary, she became pregnant, and the Holy Spirit superintended that process, accomplishing that, and the events immediately following. Also, the baptism of, of Jesus. In Matthew 3.16, it says, the Spirit of God descended on him as a dove. So there is another picture of a dove, the, of the Spirit of God coming on him. In the temptation of Jesus, let her see, Matthew 4.1 says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In the beginning of his ministry, in letter D, this had happened in Luke 4.14, 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. We find that, that he threw demons out, letter E, 
and by the power of the Spirit. And after there was a commissioning of his followers in Matthew 28, 19, very familiar passage. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was with Jesus throughout his entire earthly ministry. And when he was about to leave his followers, he said this. This is very important, very important. In John 14, 16 to 17, he said this. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Okay, very important distinction. He is now with you, but he will be in you. Lives with you is a present tense. Will be in you is a future tense, which referred to the day of Pentecost. So Jesus said, the spirit is with you, but in the future he's gonna be in you, insight, future tense. So, we, so everybody with me still? Okay, that wasn't too bad, was it? Real quick abbreviation. Abbreviated that lesson on the Holy Spirit. Now, let's move on into the church age, and let me just say this again. We must understand, and I, I said this a couple times over the last couple weeks, that we are the New Testament church. We're not, I know we're, we're 2,000 years removed, but we are the New Testament. We are the church of Acts. It's just we're 2,000 years later. And it's important for us to understand that we are the continuation and indeed the church of Jesus Christ that was begun in the book of Acts. We're the continuation of that. It's multidimensional, multicultural. It's all over the world, but we are part of that movement that began. And so it's absolutely critical that we understand what happened in the book of Acts. That's why we're going through the book of Acts, because we have to say, who are we? What is the church? Who are we to be? Okay, let's jump into this. Um, in John 20, 22, it says, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, not sure exactly, this is before, before uh, the day of Pentecost. Not sure if this was a deposit or whatever it was. It was a unique happening. But later on, he says to his same disciples in Acts 1, 4 through 5, and then 8. And I think we have this up there. Yeah, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Four phrases I have all written in your notes. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come on you. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Now, as we move into Acts, there's, there's a very important distinction I wanna make because, and this is where you get all the different denominations and beliefs, et cetera. And, and I wanna help us navigate this because there are so many conceptions and so many misperceptions about the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of fear associated with it too, by the way, because it's, it's kinda like this unknown thing. Um, an, an important distinction. First of all, there are two words that I want to define. Number one is descriptive, and it's in your notes. Descriptive is, this is what God did. This is what God did. In other words, it describes God's action or his activity. This is what God did. Prescriptive is another word, and this is what you are always to expect. 
Okay, so there's descriptive, this is what God did, and there's prescriptive, which says this is what you're always to expect, which in other words, it's normative and it's expected. Now, some people believe that the book of Acts is prescriptive. In other words, it's this is how God always operates, this is how it always happens, always. But it's a narrative. It's not prescriptive, it's descriptive, saying this is what God did. This is what God did. Now, there are parts of the Bible that are prescriptive. You go through the epistles. That you be holy, for I am holy. You know, Jesus gave commands. There are certain things that are definitely prescriptive. Acts is descriptive, saying this is the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives and the birth of the early church. Descriptive. This is what God did. Now, we're going to look at six instances in Acts where the Holy Spirit came on people. One of the things that, was, that I wanted to do when I started this study is to discover what happened then and what can we learn from it. And I want us to look at the six instances, the primary six instances where it says the Holy Spirit came on people. We're gonna look at the process of how it occurred and the evidence. What happened, how did it happen, what are the evidences, what all, can we learn from that? So, so we're going to look at this, and, and we're going to start with Acts 2. And, and I'm going to actually read them out of my Bible. Um, Acts 2, it's on page 883, starting. If you want to look at it in the Bible in the rack in front of you, they'll also be up on the screen. Um, the first one is Acts 2, 2 through 4, where it says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what happened? They, they were waiting. There are these, these 120 in the upper room. They were, they were waiting. They were believers in Jesus Christ. And then there was this, like this rushing wind, okay? All of a sudden, there's this rushing wind. And the evidences of all of this, the visible part was, number one, tongues appeared as fire on each of them. Okay? Tongues appeared as fire. They all spoke in tongues, but it was, it, they were tongues in known languages. And let me just say something. This is unique. We don't, we don't have another record of this kind of, uh, of, of happening outside of Acts 2 any other place in scripture. It doesn't mean God can't do that again. I mean, there are anecdotal evidence that he's done this other times in history, but basically this, the tongues that they were speaking were in known languages. People understood the tongues. It's an incredible thing. There were like 16 different people groups, and then they spoke with boldness, okay? So when the Holy Spirit came on, this is a really unique thing. They, there was this wind, the, the fire appeared, they, they spoke in tongues that were known languages, people understood the tongues, they spoke with boldness. Okay. Now let's look at Acts 4.31. Another passage that talks about the Holy Spirit coming out. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So these were believers that were together and this all happened, they were, they were just praying together. And the Holy Spirit came. Now, the evidence or the happening was the place was shaken. Now, I don't, I don't know what that means if there was an earthquake or something, but it says the place was shaken. There was some kind of physical shaking going on. They, they spoke the word of God boldly. And the one unique part about this is that it was continuous in filling. It was a filling of the Holy Spirit ongoing and repeated 
Which, the implication is that being filled with the Spirit is not just a one-time occurrence. Some people say, I got filled with the Holy Spirit back in 1972, and I've been filled ever since. No, there's this, this sense of continuous filling with the Holy Spirit. And somebody say, why do we need to keep being filled with the Spirit? Because we leak. Okay, that's, you know, it's, there's always this battle of flesh, our flesh against God, and it basically, he needs to continue to keep filling it. So there's a sense of continuous infilling with the Holy Spirit. Now, we get to Acts 8, the next passage. Everybody with me? Okay, if anybody misses something, just raise your hand, and I'll send you back to get an answer sheet. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, Acts 8. Acts 8, 14 to 18. Interesting, interesting passage. Um, Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He said, give me this ability so that whoever I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. These were believers. They had believed, first of all. They had been water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they had received the Holy Spirit. Now, what were the evidences that they received the Holy Spirit? It doesn't say. All it says is that it was something dramatic, it was something dramatic because Simon wanted the, the power, okay? So there was an obvious evidence or obvious happening, but it doesn't say what it is. All we know is that he saw something happen and he said, can I, can I get that too? I want to buy it. <laughs> and he said, no, you can't, can't buy that. Can't buy it. It's not something you can buy. Something dramatic happened. Then we go to Acts 9. We're going to look at Paul's conversion in a, in a, in a couple weeks after Christmas. Um, Acts 9, 17 to 20, where Paul the Apostle uh, was converted. And in Acts 9, and 17, it says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So what is the sequence here? First of all, Paul believed. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something I don't have in notes, but he also received his sight back. Okay? It's a little different than most people's experience. And then he was baptized in water. Okay, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, got his sight back, he was baptized in water. And the evidence is that he had boldness in preaching Jesus as the Son of God. He had boldness in preaching that Jesus was the Son of God. That was the evidence. Number five, Acts 10, 44 through 48. This is one of the most interesting um, passages where the Holy Spirit came on because it seems very unusual. In Acts 10, 44 to 48, Peter went to the Gentiles, and, and we'll, we'll again talk about this story, um, but, but he went to the Gentiles, and in verse 44 it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished 
that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have just received the Holy Spirit as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. So Peter is preaching at Cornelius' home, and they believed while he was preaching, and while Peter was still speaking, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was afterwards that they were baptized in water. Okay? So there's a kind of a different sequence. You know, people have this idea that somehow God has to work this way or that way. But Peter was speaking, and God sovereignly, by his Holy Spirit, began, began to move in, and he filled him with the Holy Spirit. And the evidence were, is we're speaking in tongues and praising God. Praising God. Then we have the sixth instance in Acts 19. In Acts 19, and then we'll talk about the implications of, of each, each and every one of these. Acts 19, 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road into the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. They replied, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about seven men. There were about 12 men in all. Here is another unique instance where they believed. They were baptized in John's baptism of repentance. Yeah, I don't know if I have this in your notes. I think it is. They were, yeah, they were baptized in John's. And then they were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, following that, he laid hands on them and they filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two evidences, speaking in tongues and prophesying. Okay, now, we're, we're going to look at all of these just kind of a, and, and you may want to take time, and I encourage you to take time to just look at all these, just to help understanding of all this, 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 uh, theology, etc. Um, first of all, I'm going to make one statement. First of all, I find it incredulous to deny that tongues or any evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit could be part of the church age. You know, people say, um, in other, and, and we are not dispensationalists. Dispensational believe the gifts of the Spirit moved, uh, moved on. The Wesleyan Church believes that all the gifts are for today. Okay. There are guidelines in where they're to be operating, but I find it incredulous when I look at this that anybody could deny that, that all these gifts are in operation today. It was part of the book of Acts. But what do we see? We see that we cannot put God in a box. Can't put God in a box. You know, we have this theology, and we say, this is how God operates, or this is how God operates, this is how God operates. You know what? We can't put God in a box and say, this is exactly what he does. These, are, these are, are descriptions of what God did. They were, it's descriptive. When God, the Holy Spirit, fills his people, we know that they're changed. Okay? They're, they're changed. But the exact processes and evidences vary. They're, the process of being filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, as we see through the book of Acts, it happened after salvation. It happened upon salvation or simultaneously to salvation. It happened upon baptism in water, and there were continuous or later fillings. Okay? Continuous and later fillings. 
It was by laying out of hands in Acts 8, Peter and John. In Acts 9, it was Ananias. It was during the preaching of the word of God. And then it was while praying. There doesn't seem to be any pattern or formula. The only prerequisite is faith or belief. And the evidences vary. In Acts 2, there's tongues, fire, power, and boldness. In Acts 4, it's boldness with power. Acts 8, it's dramatic but unknown. In Acts 9, it's boldness and power. In Acts 10, it's tongues and praise. In Acts 19, it's tongues and prophesying. All different. Three out of the six have tongues, but there's one common denominator in all of these instances. That is power. Power. And I believe the apostles would be somewhat taken aback by our attempts to establish formulas or formulaize these events and make them normative, and make them prescriptive rather than descriptive. They just let God be God, of course, as if we had an alternative to doing that. We must let God be God and let God work in his individual, unique way in each and every person's life. Letter B, you will receive power. Acts 1 does not say when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive flames of fire, the gift of tongues, or the gift of prophecy, or the gift of wisdom, or the word of knowledge. No, it says when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. And how many of us know that if we've been filled and immersed and anointed by the Holy Spirit, we're going to know. We're going to know that there's a difference. We all know that we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and when we do that, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. But there's always more. There's always more. There's more of God. Not that we can quantitatively receive more of the Holy Spirit divided up, but progressively, as in any relationship, we grow in intensity and power of love and commitment. There's a point in time, and there's a process over time. And the Holy Spirit in a moment and over time deepens, intensifies, and heightens that relationship with God like nothing else can, can happen. You will know it. You will know it. I put this statement because I think it's important in your notes. It's not how much you have of the Holy Spirit, but how much, of the whole, how much you view the Holy Spirit has. Okay? Some people say, I just, I just need to get more and more and more. Yes, but it's more a surrender. It's got to become, I must decrease and he must increase. More of God and less of me. The question is, how badly do you need power? How badly do we need power? One of the most common concerns I hear from Christians is I just can't seem to win. I just can't seem to be victorious, whether it's attitudes or anger or lust. Driving on the freeway, anger rises up. There's a temptation I can't defeat. That internet is pulled into that website again. I just worry all the time or I'm, I'm depressed or I inadvertently gossip or I just cannot love some people. I'm impatient. I'm irritable. I'm dominated by fear. I can't cope with stress. I plan to budget, then get carried away into debt. I don't have any self-control and on and on. No power. God set up the standard of behavior. I just can't measure up. And when I have the opportunity to share my faith, I just wilt in fear. I'm just intimidated. No power. I need power. We all need power. The Holy Spirit came on people in the Old Testament to give them power. The Holy Spirit came 
and in the New Testament to give people power. The Holy Spirit comes on us to give us power. Power. God is changeless. Now, some people limit the evidence of being filled with the Spirit to one thing or one sign, and I think that we severely limit God if we confine the evidence of being filled with the Spirit to one external sign or gift. That basically exalts one gift above all the others, and that was a problem in the New Testament church in Corinth. And we don't have time to get deeply into this, but I want to just look very briefly, we have time, just very briefly at 1 Corinthians uh, 12, a couple passages in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, the Corinthian church um, it was in a culture, well, maybe, maybe I have time to give some background. Corinthian church was in a culture of ecstatic speech, and in their heathen um, religions that they had, they had people that, that, that got ecstatic speech, and they would get in some way, and they would speak in some kind of a unknown language or something. And, and they were defined as, or they were, they were held in esteem as more spiritual and closer to the gods. Um, and so that was kind of their religion. And, and, of course, Christianity came in. And with that, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and, and the gift of tongues, and people just assumed, oh, if you have the gift of tongues, you must be more spiritual. And so, so they elevated that. And if you spoke in tongues, you were, you were the top. I mean, that was it. And that was the gift to look for, and that was the major evidence. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to correct a lot of things, including the issue of of the gifts, the, the gifts of the Spirit, including tongues and, and all of those kinds of things. So when, when we get to 1 Corinthians 12, and I think I have this up on the screen, uh, he talks about the, the spiritual gifts. Verse four says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. To each one is the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So he says, everybody's given us a spiritual gift, at least one, usually more than that. Verse 11 says, all these are the work of the one and same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. In other words, God the Spirit is the one that determines what our spiritual gifts are. I can't say, you know, I, I really want to be, uh, have the gift of wisdom, or I want to have the gift of teaching, or I want to have the gift of helps, or I want to have the gift of tongues, I want to have the gift of prophecy, or whatever it is. We, we don't choose. It's up to God to do that. Now, we need to be open to what God wants to give us. And some people are open to everything except those weird ones, okay? And I, I'm serious. I had a, I had a friend, I'll, I'll tell this story. Um, and be, because it's mis, misconstrued many times, I had a friend named Phil, and we were traveling on the road uh, with, with a music group, and we were doing ministry every night. And, uh, and he came in, he was really, hungry for more of God, and he wanted, more, he wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit and really be used of God. And so he was alone by himself one night, um, staying in a home, and he said, God, I really, I really want to be filled with the Spirit. I just, I just desire to be close to you, I want to be empowered. And he had just, he had just gone through, a, it was a national college ministry curriculum that described how, how all the gifts of the spirit, the dramatic gifts are not for today. It's called dispensationalism. So he just been, and so he said to God, and this, the, this is his story. He said, God, I want your anointing and your Holy Spirit. Just don't give me tongues. Give me anything, just don't give me tongues. 
And so, and, and he was down, he was depressed, he was seeking for God. He said, God, just fill me with your spirit. I need God so badly. And God came on him in a powerful way, all, all alone, in that bedroom, and he started speaking in tongues. And he was so resistant, he grabbed his jaw, and he tried to stop what God was doing, and he realized that God did that. I just say that to be encourage people to be open to every gift. We're open to everything, but don't give me those dramatic things. Now, there, there's a proper use of that, and when we get into 1 Corinthians in the future, we'll talk about that. The, the Wesleyan Church does not encourage public use of that unless it's speaking to oneself and to God quietly, privately, prayer language. But, but being open to every single gift and say, God, it says you distribute to each one individually as you will. Let me be open to all the gifts, including whatever that may be. But he wrote 1 Corinthians because they were elevating one above the other, and we can't do that. So don't, don't feel like we're more spiritual than others if we have a particular gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says this, and the church, in the church God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having the gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues, are all upon, now, the, the, the next rhetorical questions in the, in the Greek language, the way, the way the grammar works is when they ask a rhetorical question, you can tell whether the expected answer is yes or no, okay? Yes or no. So, so when they ask these rhetorical questions at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, the way it's structured is the expected answer by the structure in the grammar is the expected answer is no, okay? So it says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And we discover that in 1 Corinthians 13, the well-known love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Paul said to this Corinthian church, he, he didn't, he didn't um, diminish any gift, including tongues. He put them in perspective, and he said, fine, use your gifts, but he said, put them in perspective. In fact, he talks in the, in the, in the, in the first part of 13, if you have this gift, and you have this gift, and you have all these gifts, and he said, but if you don't have love, you're worthless. It, it's nothing. It doesn't accomplish anything. The most important result of being filled with the Spirit is power. The most important attitude is love. Some people have a lot of gifts, but they don't have love. And the primary evidence of being filled with the Spirit is love. Love. Do we have love for one another? Do we love the lost? Are we filled with the Spirit? Do we have love? Love. Finally, the most important mission is to be witnesses. To be witnesses is the last line in our notes. A witness describes what they have seen and heard, what they've experienced. When we experience life change, when we're filled, immersed, and soaked by God, by His Holy Spirit, 
we cannot help but be witnesses and sharing. Now the question I have for you today, and I'm gonna conclude with these thoughts. Do you want more of God? Do you want more of God? Have you been seeking an experience? Don't seek an experience. Don't seek a gift. Seek God and say, God, you give me what you decide to give me. Seeking an experience is kind of like seeking a dramatic happening with someone without us trying to establish a, a deeper relationship. The Holy Spirit, just like in the book of Acts, just like the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in the book of Acts, is available for every believer, everyone. His powerful filling is for you. Just believe, ask for it, ask for his filling, and receive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you take these kind of crazy things that we're a little afraid of at times and you help them make sense. And I pray, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open our eyes and our minds. And and God, open our hearts that we'd say, God, I need you. I want more of you. And whatever it is that you want to do with me, you do. Whatever gifts you're giving me, whether it's gift of helps or teaching or prophesying or, or gift of, 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 of teaching or uh, prophecy, Lord, or the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation. God, there are so many gifts that you want to give us. And it's a supernatural side of your church. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd be open to everything that you have for us. That we won't quench the Spirit of God. And that you would fill us with your Spirit. And you would see our lives transformed, the life of this church transformed, and it will flow out to the entire Chippewa Valley. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?